Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. So, hey, we are on part two of a series we've been doing. We started last week on spiritual warfare. That was a great, funny little video kind of playing out how some spiritual warfare uh, works in our lives. Don't you wish all spiritual warfare was that simple and that funny? It would be nice if that's all there really is to it. And so we are talking for five weeks on this topic. Last week, we kicked it off with the, the, maybe the most important foundational truth, and that is that there is a war there is a war and there is a no civilian war none of us are civilians the bible tells us everyone is either a prisoner or a soldier those are the only options and many of us think that we are watching something plow between god and satan the reality is we are deeply and heavily involved matter of fact most of it is actually playing out with us and in our lives and so that's what last week was about But of course, it didn't take long before I got some emails and we had some life groups getting together and talking about the message and what God is doing. So we had some questions that were raised. And so one question that came up multiple times this week was, hey, wait a minute, what do you mean there's a war? I belong to God, and if I'm a child of God, the enemy has no place messing with me. Well, that's a really great question, isn't it? Matter of fact, there's a Bible verse or two that actually agrees with it. And so that may make you wonder, why would we do this series? So this is where I have to stop and say what I would like to say about every series, but maybe is more true with this one than others. If you only get part of it, you're going to miss something really important. Because what I need to say about spiritual warfare cannot be said in 30 minutes. I'm not even sure it can be said in five weeks. But at the very least, I have created what I hope will be an outline for a really biblical and a really well-balanced representation of a God view and a view of Satan and how all of this is playing out. But if you only hear one part of this, then during that week you're going to lean a little bit one direction. And then if you miss another part, you're going to lean a little bit another direction. So the answer to the question, wait a minute, I belong to God. What right does the enemy have messing with me is next week. Part three, come on back for that. The truth is, I'm actually going to answer just a little bit of it this week just because topics blur together so much. So I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, it's online. If you are going to miss any other weeks, catch them online. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a skewed understanding of the enemy and what right he has in our lives. This whole idea of spiritual warfare is an incredibly tricky topic, isn't it? I mean, trying to talk about the enemy and what he can do and what he is doing without giving him glory or becoming fascinated with who he is. Really difficult. But we do need to know who he is and what he's up to. So that is why we're doing this series. So if you have ever grown up reading stories in the Bible, or if you grew up going to church, if you've been doing this for a long time, the way we talk about God, and the way we talk about Satan, and the way we talk about the events that play out, logically lead to a natural misunderstanding, just to be honest. 
And I grew up with this misunderstanding myself, going to, to uh, Sunday school and, and going to church all of the time, just the way that we talk about, man, God created the world, and then Satan came out and did his thing. God created humans, and then Satan is out to destroy them. God has a purpose for you. Satan is trying to destroy that purpose for you. Uh, God is good. Satan is bad. We just come up with a natural misunderstanding. Now, I'm going to show you this natural misunderstanding in, in visual form because I'm a visual person. I don't know how many of you are visual people, but I'm one of those people, if I don't see it, I can't do it, I can't learn it, right? So my, my wife, who's from Eastern Europe, she can learn like all kinds of languages. She can just hear it. She can just watch a movie, listen to a movie, and she can suddenly speak the language. And she would try to teach me a word in Romanian, and I'd be like, I, I, I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? I just said it. I still can't say it. Write it down. If I could see it written, then I could, could say it. So I'm just one of those weird people. As I hear things and learn things, I imagine them being written in front of me in my head. Okay, anybody else weird like me? You're a visual learner. So what I did as I was growing up as a kid is I began to develop a chart of God and Satan and their relationship. And so it looked a lot like this right here. How many of you have ever seen that kind of idea? How many of you... As you grow up and you hear the stories about, you know, God was doing this and then Satan came against him and God had a plan and then Satan had another plan. It kind of plays out like this in our minds. And it's very easy for this to think that this is what spiritual warfare is like. The problem is that is utterly and completely inaccurate. Some of you are like, I'm glad he didn't give us a test on this. I'm not sure what's wrong with that. And that's okay because for many years I didn't know what was wrong with it either. Here's what it actually looks like. See, that's the way that should be. And by the way, I should get a few more amens from people who are trusting in the one up top right there. There, Yeah, okay. You see, we just have this idea and the way we talk so much, you know, like God's got a plan, Satan's got a plan, God is. And we begin to think that they're actually like on the same plane. But they're not. Matter of fact, the Bible is incredibly clear. God sits alone. He's the creator of the universe. And he created some beings. One of those beings that he created was actually Satan. He was one of three chief archangels in the beginning. We have Gabriel, we have Michael, and then we had one called Lucifer or Satan or the devil. He gets a lot of names. I don't know. He's trying to make himself feel good. You know, people with big fancy names think they're important or something like that. So anyway, the point is all he was was one of God's created beings. And the third of the angels that he had charge of, we simply now call demons because they were cast down with him. This is the way it truly is. What we need to embrace is the theological truth that God has no rival. God has no equal. If you were here last week, we sang that song to kick off this series on spiritual warfare. God sits alone at the top of his kingdom. No one is like him. He has no rival. He has no equal. You know how sometimes like the, the little podunk school like says, hey, we're going to play our rivals. And it's like the number one team in the nation. And the number one team in the nation is like, who are you? You're not our rival. You're lucky you're on our schedule. You're the game we just paid to like bring you in here to practice our third string or something you're not our rival and that's that's what god when god looks at satan like you <laughs> seriously okay it, but the problem is we sometimes actually think he has more power than he actually does so here's what we're going to talk about today one very simple truth god has complete authority and the enemy knows it that's it god has complete authority and the enemy knows it now some of you at this point go i agree can i go to lunch no 
You can't. Because as we're going to learn here over the next few minutes, many of us know things, but we don't know things. I would venture to say every one of you in here would probably agree with the statement, God has complete authority and the enemy knows it. But on Monday, it seems like that doesn't play out in our lives. And so what we need to talk about is not what we know, but what we live. So I'm going to show you this first just to make sure you understand. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. I'm going to give you two real quick passages. If you'd like to, you can turn with me. One of them is going to be in Job chapter 1, and another one's going to be in Mark in just a minute. If you don't have your Bibles, look on the screen. So we're in Job chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I am really glad he picked on Job and not me. I'm going, anybody ever just like, no, God, not me? You know, when you're sitting in class and the teacher's like, who would, who would like to answer my question? The first thing you do is stop making eye contact. You're, you're watching this play out and you're going, oh, no, God, not me. Hey, have you considered my servant Kent? Yeah, he's great. He's a righteous and godly man. Yeah, go on. Just let him prove it to you. I mean, seriously, God. So then Satan answered the Lord and said, what does Job fear God for no reason? Come on, you put a hedge of protection around the man, his house, and all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and you touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. You see, that's what Satan thinks of humanity. As long as it's going well for them, they're going to tell you you're a good God. As long as they win the lottery, it's great. But you take their stuff away and see if they don't turn against you. It's sad how correct the enemy is about many of us. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Take all that he has, just leave him alone. The rest of the story goes, that's exactly what happens. Satan takes his stuff, Satan takes his house, Satan takes his money, Satan destroys his family. Everything is gone. All he's got left is his wife, who now is mad at him, and nothing. Here's what we see. Satan could do nothing without God's permission. Nothing. And could only do what God allowed. Well, Satan comes back for round two. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. So the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds to his integrity, although you incited me against him. He still worships me, even though you... You put me up to messing with him. You know what? Sometimes we don't like this. I actually love this. God acknowledges right there. I said you could go and do it, and you went and did it, but I'm, I'm on the hook for it. I'm on the hook for it. I'm not about to let you get credit for what just happened in Job's life. If Job's got a problem, he's going to come to me. He's not going to you because you incited me to do something against him that he, had, he didn't deserve. He was worshiping me. He was righteous. He was good. God takes responsibility for what is played out in his life. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Oh, come on, skin for skin. 
All that a man has, he will give for his life. I just took his stuff. I just took his house. He can get more. I took his kids, but he can make more. It's not that big a deal, God. I mean, seriously, that's what he's saying. But stretch out your hand and touch him. Touch his bone, touch his flesh, and then he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. Again, what we see is that Satan could do nothing without God's permission, and he could only do what God allowed. If you think this is an Old Testament passage that doesn't relate, I want to show you what Jesus experienced when Jesus walked the earth. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. We sing a song talking about every knee will bow. You see, one day every knee will bow to Jesus. Right now, some humans still try to believe that they can defy God and who he is. They can say either he doesn't exist or he's not great or he's not good so he doesn't deserve my worship. I'm not going to bow to that God. But you know what's amazing is even the demons get it. Even the demons, when they see Jesus, they fall and they bow down. You know what that's a sign of? submission you are the great one you are the great one they prove it with what they say crying out with a loud voice he said what have you to what have you to do with me jesus son of the most high god what are you going to do with me because you could do anything because you're in charge it's totally up to you i'm at your mercy son of the most high god i'm a servant of the loser i'm not the i'm not with the most high you're with the most high i acknowledge the one you're with you're not even a worker for you're the son of the most high God. What are you going to do? You are completely above me. I bow before you. And so the demons start saying, I adjure you by God. I adjure you by God. I wish that the English helped this phrase make sense. But here's what it means in the Greek. I adjure you is to beg someone to swear an oath by the highest authority they can come up with. So catch this, I, I am begging you to swear to me that you will do what you are going to say and make that promise to the highest name you can. How about God? The demons don't even want him to swear by Satan. That guy's no good. Their boss, no credibility. Please swear to me that you will not torment me by your God. The demons have figured it out. God has complete authority. For Jesus was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Aren't y'all glad that doesn't happen when you look in the mirror? Try that someday. Oh, how do I look today? Oh, we look great because we are many, we are. Yeah, yeah, you better change outfits if you see that happening. And that probably won't help, but that's okay. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. He gave them permission. Who gives permission? The one who has the authority. Who begs for permission? The one who doesn't have it. Parents give permission. Kids ask for permission. Principals give permission. Students ask for permission. Bosses give permission. Employees ask for permission. Right? Who gives permission? The one who has the authority. God has complete 
authority and the enemy knows it. Now, that's the theological truth. That's your intro. The question is, do we? The enemy knows it. Do we? It doesn't seem like we know it when we fear what Satan can do to us. When we worry about what Satan could come up with uh, to come against what we're doing, it doesn't seem that we know it. When we give Satan credit for foiling God's plan in our lives, we don't seem to know it. When we lose hope that God actually can deliver us from the difficulties in our lives that Satan has brought against us, we don't seem to know it. And when we're so ashamed of who we are and what we used to do and the sins that we commit that we don't believe that God could actually forgive us, we, we don't seem to know it. The enemy knows it. Do we? God has complete authority and the enemy knows it. Now all of that was really just the theological backing to get to where we really need to talk today. We really need to talk about this idea. Okay, God has authority. The enemy has not. There is a war, but God has won. Why do we need to talk about spiritual warfare? I mean, what exactly is the point? God has won, the enemy has lost. Who cares? What is there to talk about? The real question, here's a great way to word it. What right does the enemy have to mess with us? Well, next week, we're going to answer the question of how the enemy does get some rights. The truth is, and sometimes in Christianity, we want to deny this. So come back next week if you disagree with the statement. But he actually does have some right. He gets some rights. And so next week, we're going to talk about how did he get those rights and how can we take them away? But today, I want us to understand something else because it's not always about what right does he have. And so today we're going to simply talk about what is the enemy doing to you that he has no right to do? We assume that he has to have a right, but we're missing one of the most basic theological truths in all of the world, and that is the enemy doesn't fight fair. Did you know that? The enemy doesn't fight fair. Why in the world would we think that he's playing by a set of rules and only doing what he has a right to do? I mean, think about this logically. He was in heaven. And he looked over and said, huh, hey, look at God's chair. I think I would look good in that. I'm going to go take it. Hey, God's position, ah, that would fit me very well. If he will not treat the God of the universe as he deserves to be treated, why do you think he's going to treat you as you deserve to be treated? Think about that for a minute. If he would attempt to pull over one on the creator of the universe, don't be surprised if he's going to attempt to pull one over on us. He simply doesn't fight fair. You see, fighting fair would require someone to have integrity. He doesn't have that. Fighting fair would require someone to have a moral compass. He doesn't have that. We've got to stop believing that the enemy is playing by the correct set of rules. There are many things that the enemy is going to do where, where he's just going to do whatever he wants to do and see if he can get away with it. He's just trying. Why? Simply because it is in his nature. So what I want to show you today is a little bit about his nature because the better we understand his nature, the better we understand what he's doing. Here's the first thing we need to know. He's a bully. He's a bully. Now, maybe some of you were the bully when you were growing up, so you don't like that when I say that, but I was the kid that got bullied. 
I mean, I was 4'11 as a freshman. Let's not even talk about middle school. Middle school was like torture for me. And there was this one really big kid who, for some reason, wanted to bully everybody. Had nothing to do with his name. I'm not going to say his name, but because you know exactly who I'm talking He went to middle school with me. But his, his name alone, we would say his name was an insult to him. And so at the end of the day, we probably created the bully. But anyway, he was a bully, and he was always mean, and he was always pushing people around. And I hated seeing him around because I knew that he was going to shove me or hit me or knock my books out of my hand or whatever he could do. See, here's the thing about bullies. Bullies don't care about rights. They don't need rights. They don't even care if somebody's watching. Matter of fact, they want to see if you're even going to call the teacher. They're just going to do it. They're going to walk up and slap you upside the head just to see what you're going to do with it. It's not because they have a right to do it. Bullies are mean. It's the simple truth. Bullies don't follow the rules. Bullies simply pick on people because they, they pleasure in another person's misery. That's just all they're going to do. During this series, I send out an email to a group of people who pray for me. And if I've got a trip I'm going on or I've got a sickness or something, I'll, I'll ask them to pray for me and they pray for me. There's a group of people committed to doing that with me. And so when I was starting the series, I emailed them and said, I'm doing a five-part series on spiritual warfare. Will you pray for me? Do you think I sent that email because I'm afraid of the enemy? That was not a hard question. Y'all are doubting my... I'm like, come on, people. No, no, I'm not afraid of the enemy. I wouldn't be a pastor for a living if I were afraid of the enemy, okay? That would be like the dumbest profession on the planet, okay? No, I'm not afraid of him. A a am I asking them to pray for me because I think I'm going to fall into sin tomorrow because, you know, I'm like right on the edge? No, no, I didn't ask them to pray for me for that reason. I asked them to pray for me because I'm calling a bully out to the playground. And I decided if I'm going to meet a bully on the playground, I'm taking my friends with me. That's just all there is to it. He's a bully. He's also a sore loser. Anybody ever played a game with a sore loser? And I'm sure none of you are a sore loser. You're all gracious and wonderful. But I've got four children. And I'll tell you what I've noticed about the sin nature of humans. All of my children are sore losers. None of them like to keep going. Once they figure out somebody else is going to win the game, they're done with it. They don't want to finish the game. However, one of our children in particular is a little bit sorer at losing than the others. We've got one child in particular that once he figures out the game is over for him, no longer do the dice land on the board, the dice fly across the room. Monopoly money comes raining down like snow all around you. And, and here's the point. Sore losers say, okay, fine, if I can't win, you're at least not going to enjoy it. You may win, but it's going to be the worst victory you've ever tasted. That's what a sore loser does. You know, sometimes we get this idea uh, that, that like, okay, Satan's going to lose in the end, but he's kind of control right now. He's not in control right now. God has complete authority, but he knows he's lost. And he's just seeing if he can make the game miserable for the rest of us. There will come a day and I'll be judged. That's fine. But right now I'm going to see if I can mess it up for everybody else. Because he can't change the fact that he won't win. He's an incredibly sore loser. Third thing is he's a deceiver. The Bible tells us, oh, don't be surprised by what happens. Don't be surprised that you get tricked. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Even he pretends to be somebody that he's not. You see, have you guys ever heard of something called house rules? And you know how you're playing a game with somebody and then suddenly out of the blue, you're just like sitting there playing and, and you're, you're waiting for an ace and they slap down a two and go, I got you. And you're like, what are you talking about? That's a two, man. Yeah, don't you know twos are wild? No, twos aren't well. Well, they are in my house. You're losing. What? 
Who made up that rule? I did just now, but that's okay. I, I, I was actually just uh, off playing with some friends of mine, Settlers of Catan, which happens to be the best board game ever made. Come on, anybody with me? That was weak. Those of you that do not know Settlers is the best board game, we'll have prayer to cast out demons at the end of the service. But, uh, and so anyway, a couple of friends of mine, we were sitting down, we're all pastors, which tells you how godly the game is. And, and one of them, as we're setting up the board, he asks a question. He looks at me because I, I like the game a little bit more than the rest of them, so they assume that I know all the rules, problem number one. And, and he looks at me and says, so I've always wondered when this happens and that happens, what is the rule about that? Now, here's what I need you to get out of this. He's asking me, his competitor, and I am answering the rule in whatever way is going to be best for me. Now, it turns out that I am telling the truth, just cause got a little thing called integrity there, but I could have said anything. And here is what is the craziest part of this. The rule book, the actual Settlers of Catan rule book was only about five feet from him. He could have gotten up and walked over and read it, and then he would have known the truth. He would have known what it takes to win the game. He would have known what it takes to make this work. If you know anything about settlers, you need 10 points to win the game. I could have said you need four. If you know anything about Monopoly, I could say the first one to get around the board four times wins. That's not how you win. If you know anything about poker, which I know nothing about, so bad analogy, I could make up this number beats that number, and it won't do any good. And this is exactly what Satan does to deceive us. He says, let me tell you how you win the game. And then we just go with it. And we get all the way to the end of life. And we've had broken relationship here. We've got children that have walked away there. But we think because we, we, we got the Disney trip in and we got the white picket fence and we got the retirement house, we think we won the game. We don't even know what the rules of the game were. And I'm going to tell you the truth. If you don't get up and walk across the room and read your own instruction manual, you'll never have a clue what the truth is about the enemy that you're playing in the game. It's the most foolish thing we do. We believe a deceiver. We believe someone who is out to trick us. And because he knows, he knows what's in here. I don't know if you know this. There's a story in here where he confronted Jesus. And the only thing that he tried to throw in Jesus's face was this. He knows this better than we do. So he knows exactly which rule to distort. Well, let me tell you right here. If you try to live this way, it's going to work. And if we don't know what's in here, we're going to be playing for the wrong thing. You're going to be trying to get around the board four times and find out that wasn't even how you won. You're going to be trying to figure out the wrong way around the board and find out that doesn't even work. And then suddenly he's going to say twos are wild. And if you don't know they're not, then what are you going to do? His whole goal is to wake up every day and say, let me see who I can trick today. Let me see who will believe my good act. Let me see who will be like, oh, you're the devil. Woo, I'm scared of you because, you know, sometimes we just do. And he's a liar. The Bible says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Because he's a liar. He's a liar and the father of lies. You see, when we believe him, he wins, at least for that moment. He's a liar. Every Thursday morning, we come together as a staff to pray for the weekend. We've just dedicated that time. It's what we do. First thing, Thursday mornings, 9 a.m. Anybody ever wants to join us? We're here. And we come right in here and we pray only for the weekend. We don't pray for Aunt Susie or anything else. It's only for Sunday. What God is going to do on this, on this property, in this place, on Sundays. And there was this week not too, too long ago where we had a lot going on. We had some people traveling and some other people sick. And so there was one staff member. One staff member showed up. 
one staff member comes in and, and begins to pray. And, and the, the devil says, it whispers to her, you're only one. The Bible says we're two or more are gathered. You're only one. Your prayers won't do any good. Is it true that your prayers won't do any good if you're the only one that shows up? Oh, but that's what he tried to say. It's a good thing this staff member knew not to believe and stayed and prayed for the whole time by herself. You see, he will say anything. He just says things that aren't true, like a good God would never allow this. I'm going to tell you, I think that's the most pervasive lie on the planet Earth today. I can't tell you the number of people that have walked away from their faith, the number of people that think bad things when they hear the name of Jesus, the number of people that would curse God simply because of that lie. A good God wouldn't let this happen. It's one of the worst lies. God could never love you. I mean, look at you. God couldn't forgive what you've done. And he forgave some people, but you. You're nobody. God couldn't use your life for any purpose. You're just lucky you're alive. Don't worry. God's not going to do anything important with you. Right now, if everybody had a sheet of paper, we could... We could make a list of thousands of lies because the truth is we have so many of them up here. We wake up every day. Teenage girls who are created, beautiful and precious in the sight of their heavenly father wake up and look in the mirror and say, I'm not good enough. I'm too thin or I'm not thin enough or I'm not tall enough for my nose is this or that. Guys look in the mirror and say, you know, this or that. We look at our marriage and we believe a lie. It could never get better. My spouse could never do this or that. We look at our checkbooks and we believe a lie. Well, honoring God doesn't work. Or if I did honor God, it wouldn't work then because there wouldn't be enough money or whatever the case is. We could just go around the room right now and say, what, what goes through your head that you know God isn't saying? And the reality is, come on, look, we know. We know every single one of us, there's a lot going in on our head that we know isn't coming from God. Tons of it. We stand up every day, we look in the mirror, we look at our marriage, we look at our kids, we look at our lives, we look at something, and there's a thought that goes on up here that is not coming from the instruction manual, trying to trick us into how the game goes, to believing that it doesn't do any good to make that move. Don't believe in your marriage, don't pray for it, don't get counsel, you can't save it anyway. It's a lie. It's just lies of the enemy because he's a liar. Now all of that really brings us to the, the, the true point today. Or at least the point that I think most of you are at. Many of you right now are going, okay, Jimmy, but. And there are a few of you that, well, you would get, you'd get there by tomorrow morning. If God has complete authority, as we saw with Job, and if the enemy can do nothing, if God does not allow it, then how can you trust that God? I mean, look at Job. He was just living a good life, doing the right thing, honoring God, worshiping him. And for no reason, God says, okay, you can have him. Are you kidding me? What it really raises is a question of suffering. You see, there's a theology that we develop practically that's a bad theology. It's a theology that says everything good is from God and everything bad is from Satan. So we say, thank you, God, and we blame Satan based on how we interpret our circumstances. And the problem with that is that we define good and we define bad. 
So just as an example, I think everyone in the room would say winning the lottery is good. It would be a good thing to be able to be generous and to never have a financial difficulty in your life again, right? That sounds like good. Except for all the documentaries on how the lottery ruined my life. Clearly, it's not always good. You see, there are things that we look at and in a short frame of time, we declare this is good because I feel happy. This is bad because I don't feel happy. And if we start deciding we're going to give God credit for this feeling and blame the enemy for that feeling, we get incredibly messed up. My defining moment in life, and probably the only reason I'm in ministry, is when the rubber hit the road with this ideology. As many of you have heard the story before, my wife and I were pregnant with our second child. Her name was Olivia, and she had a fatal birth defect. And once the doctor told us what that was and told us how to begin to pray, we went home and started doing some internet research on this condition. And we found support groups all across the web and, and Christians who were praying against this. And, and they, I found one that had this list of how to pray. Rebuke Satan for taking your child. Rebuke Satan for doing this. And rebuke Satan for this and this and this and this and this. And I closed the computer. And I walked outside to my driveway I can visualize right where I was and what I was doing. It, was, I, it occurred to me exactly at that moment. If I need to rebuke Satan, I'm praying to the wrong one. My problem is not with Satan. My problem is with God. Because I believe God's in charge. And I believe God has complete authority. And I stood in my driveway at that moment. And I told the enemy, you can take as many as you want. I will never say God is not good. It was a defining moment. You see, the enemy was right about most of humanity. If you, if you would just stop protecting them, they'll curse you. If you would just take away that stuff, they'll curse you. He was right about Job's wife, by the way. I think that's the only reason he didn't mess with Job's wife, because she became an agent for him. She actually says, would you stop it already and just curse God and die? Look what he's, I mean, that's, she got taken. Let me tell you what Job did in the midst of losing everything. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. Worship? Worship? You just lost all of your children and their spouses. You just lost. You're, you don't have a home to go to when the funeral is over. And you lost all of your belongings and your money. You can't pay for the funeral. And you worship? Yeah. Yeah, he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job figured it out. Job figured it out. God's in charge. But we don't get to decide. It's not our place to accuse God because we didn't get the job we wanted. It's not our place to accuse God because he has a different plan and a different length of days for the life of our children. It's not our place to accuse God, whatever the story is. That's why Job got to make the Bible, because he figured it out. And unfortunately, the enemy is right about the overwhelming majority of humanity. 
most of us would have walked away. Most of us would turn away. See, I've never told anybody this. And I debated whether or not I was even going to say this. But if anybody's ever paid attention to my social media, every July 28th, I post. The Lord is given. And the Lord takes away. It's the day that Olivia was born and went to get heaven to be with God. Because it's a day every year that I remind myself, my God is good. He gave everything. He can take what he wants. Because it belongs to him, including me. You see, when we know that God is in charge, it raises a question of suffering. And the first thing that the enemy wants us to do is to believe if we suffer, we have to say God is not good. And Job figured out the real point of suffering. And that's what I want us to walk away with today. The point of life is not to be happy. The point of life is not to be comfortable. The point of life is not to always experience pleasure as defined by a human. No, according to Scripture, there is one point of the human life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Most of us do not wake up every day and say, I hope today I can glorify you no matter what happens. Most of us wake up and start asking God for happy circumstances. We miss the point of life. And when we miss the point of life and believe that suffering equals bad, then it is so easy for the enemy to lie and deceive and to be a bully and take us down because we have missed the point whole game in the first place and we don't even know what we're doing but what we're doing giving glory to God and I'm going to tell you when Job woke up and looked out at his riches and looked out at his house and looked out all his kids and said God is good that didn't begin to measure up to the day that he looked out and had nothing and said God is good that was worship. The greatest worship always occurs in the midst of suffering. And the enemy tries to say, no, no, no. God has complete authority. That means we're going to have to reconcile in our thinking. If God's in charge, how do we deal with the things we don't like? It's worthy of an entire series, but at least I hope the last few minutes has helped us. Because God does have complete authority. God has complete authority. And the enemy knows it. But he doesn't fight fair. And that is why there is a war. I want to close by talking to those of you that for whatever reason, you have yet to give Jesus control of your life. Maybe it's things we said. Maybe it's some of those lies. Well, God isn't good. Have you looked at my life? Maybe you've been bitter or angry about something that has happened to you. Maybe he hasn't answered a prayer. Maybe your marriage is miserable and you blame God for that. I don't know what the situation is. But if you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus and to make him your king, I'd like to help you do that right now. Because the greatest deception of all is when the enemy makes you think you don't need to do that. It's the most important thing we could ever do. You don't have to stand up or come down front or do anything weird. But right where you're seated, would you all join me? And say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you 
I thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. I thank you for truth and pray for a perspective that lines up with your truth. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.